The Advancing Women in Sport podcast is created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to Elders past and present. I also celebrate the massive contribution that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island peoples have made to sport, and I acknowledge their contribution across the world. Hey everyone, Michelle Redfern here, your host of the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. This is the podcast about smashing the patriarchy in sport. I know from my work as a diversity, equity and inclusion consultant that it's really important to fix systems and remove barriers that prevent women from all identities from reaching their full potential in the sport industry and of course beyond. The guests on this podcast are game changers. Pardon the pun, actually no pun intended. They are people of different genders, from different places and from different parts of the sports industry. What they all have in common though is that they are agitating, advocating and activating for gender equality in sport. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back, listeners, to the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. And of course, in this season, I'm talking to people who are smashing the patriarchy in sport. And today, I've got a woman with me called Holly Bailey, and she's the founder of Play Like a Girl Australia. And Holly and I bumped into each other, and then I did an interview for her, and then we did some other stuff together. And and the more I get to know about Holly, the more I realise that she is someone who is dismantling the boys' club because she's had some great experiences and then she's uh, well I'm going to let her talk about her experiences but she's she's taken advice but more importantly which is everything that I'm about with advancing women in sport she's taken action to level the playing field for women and girls in sport so welcome to the pod Holly Thank you so much for having Michelle. And I'm so glad that we have crossed paths because from the moment we have, good things have been happening. So thank you very much for having me. No worries. And, and likewise, um, you're, you're a very inspiring person. So, so I'm a very relatively tall person for those who don't know me. And Holly's not a relatively tall person. And the reason I'm pointing out height, which is most unlike me, so because I do not make appearance-based comments, is that you are a pocket rocket, but your height was something that was a catalyst for you doing what you're doing now, which is running this amazing organisation which helps girls with their mindset and helps them become the leaders that they could be. So do you want to tell us that story about how your height was a a belief of yours and then how it turned into what you're doing now? Absolutely. So this story I've told a number of times now because it really did. I believe there were things that led up to that, but that this story really cracked things open for me and had me look at myself and my sport and my world in a whole different way. So I had been a netball. Netball was my sport from when I was a young girl. The second I stepped on court, I just loved every single second of it and wanted to play as much as I can. So my dad would drive me around the countryside playing netball most nights and weekends in a variety of different teams. And I grew up with my dad and my brother predominantly. So in our family, we were highly competitive and I would always find myself in my family competing against the boys. And the only way how to do that was do it how they do it. So we were cutthroat 
white line fever, give it absolutely everything until you die kind of a situation. So when it came to playing sport, that's the mindset that I took. Just it is about winning at all costs. So from an individual playing perspective, I was good, but I didn't necessarily gel that well with other people because I was all about thinking I had to do it and carrying everything on my shoulders and and working the hardest out of everyone and that was the only thing that mattered so I definitely had some things to learn on that front Michelle and those lessons have come to me in a variety of ways and this story is one of them so I've been a competitive netball for quite a while and started to get some knockbacks in some of the tryouts that I'd gone for. And that was the first time that had started to happen. And so I'd start asking questions going, oh, am I not good enough? Is it, am I not working hard enough? What was it? And I didn't know then that it was probably a mental shift, but I thought, no, it's a physical one. You need to work harder, get out there and train more. Or maybe it's because I'm shorter than everyone else. And, you know, all those stories and that that inner dialogue starts to come in. And that's the story that I really grasped. That was the one I'm like, yep, it's that. That's the reason. And that sounded like a really good excuse. But that was something that was going on internally. I never really shared that with anyone. So I'd stopped trying to get to higher grades. I figured I'd be good at this level and I'll stay here. And I never consciously thought it when I was competing. I'd always sort of be the captain and in the team photos, I'd be the the tiny little person in between all of the six foot girls, which they're quite amusing to see. However, a few years later, I had the opportunity to play in a team that I was used to. uh, There was a higher level than I was used to playing in. And I went along and I played really well. And the coach came over and said, oh, what are you doing? Why are you not playing with us at this level? And I just said, obviously, I'm a little short to be playing at this level. It's just never going to work. And he looked at me like I was crazy and just said, well, I just put a girl in the level above this one who's your height. So that's not true. This is years down the track. So I remember the moment so well. I felt like he had just put his hand inside my chest and tore my heart out and thrown it on the ground because I just held on to this with such might. It's just, it was such a moment of going, oh my gosh, I've made that up. It's not even true. What else isn't true? And Michelle, that was a massive unraveling of going, what else am I making up? What else do I not know? Or what do I know and think? Oh, it was just a, a real moment for me. So that was a real catalyst of things opening up for me. It's so interesting because on my other podcast, Lead to Saw, my co-host and I, Mel, quite often talk about in the context of leadership and women and leadership, what is that inner dialogue? What's that running track that you've played yourself for so long? You've become very comfortable with, but as you said, oh, it's not true. So how do we get out of our own damn way and reach our full potential? And which then leads me to the fact that you then thought, well, I'm not the only one. I may not be the only one with this self-limiting belief. And then flipping over, I'm sort of changing tram tracks here. There's a really pejorative term that's flung at boys and men. It's like, oh, you throw like a girl, you play like a girl, oh, you big girl. So you, through a range of different experiences and what have you, you suddenly went, hang on a minute, what am I going to do about this? And I guess my first call to action listeners is, you know what I'm all about. What's that one thing you do when you have an aha moment like this? It's like, well, I can sit in this and just kind of go, okay, and miss the lesson. Or you can do what you did, Holly, and say, well, what am I going to do about this? So tell us about 
play like a girl. And I love that story because it really, I think, feels like to me in the short time that we've known each other that that then opened up your mind and your heart to say, okay, what am I going to do about that? Not only for myself, but for others. Absolutely. And that was a story that really cracked things open. But even preparing for talking to you today, there was the environment that I'd grown up in, yes, with my with the boys in my family, but also growing up playing netball in a football club and in that community, I'd always felt this, that the women's sport wasn't taken as seriously as the men's, that we were just there and that it was a bit of a side thing that was at the club and it wasn't taken seriously. And the reality, as I reflect, is that we were very successful and had some incredible athletes, but never felt that we had the credit for that. So the play like a girl really comes from the seed of rebellion a little bit, but also wanting to be taken seriously because they would say, I've seen you in the paper and you're only this short, that can't be you. Yeah, we train just as hard as the boys or we're out there working equally as hard or the commitment level that is expected is the same, if not more that play like a girl had never been, I'd never take it in a derogatory. I'd say, yeah, I do, watch me. And that delivery back to someone who's saying it in a different way to me was incredibly important and it still is. The energy and the confidence that it needs to come with is really, really important and it makes people question themselves, I think, quite quickly as well. So it's interesting because when I talk to my guests and others and pretty much anyone who wants to listen about the stages that we go through around being an advocate for women in sport, the first transition is from oblivion to awareness. And you've described that, perhaps not oblivion, but certainly arriving at awareness. Aha, I'm aware now that netball is given less priority than football in our football netball league and having been part of country leagues um, as a director and also as a participant way back I get that then there's that next stage of feeling a bit outraged or pissed off or whatever you want to call it and then we move into advocacy so you're at the awareness stage Tell us about moving or transitioning into sort of outrage and then, and it might not have been outrage for you. I use outrage because it's very, very pertinent to me, but this is your story. Transitioning into outrage or I've got to do something about this into doing something about it. How did that happen? I would say outrage is the correct term, Michelle. (laughs) It sparks fury for me. I instantly just feel completely aggravated and Early on, I probably would have some really clunky conversations around it saying, why don't you value the girls? They need to be spoken about and their results and, uh, you know, the recognition of what they've done today deserves as much time on the stage as the boys. And having conversations that I would call clunky at best, that probably I would hope that I would do them more justice now. So I would still call it out. And interestingly, whenever I've had that honest conversation or called someone out, more often than not, it ends up being a better relationship because they can see it's coming from passion and it's coming from love and care. I'm not coming from a place of trying to tear anyone down. I'm just saying, hey, be valued here. You need to recognise that. And then it probably came across a little more aggressive. (laughs) That fury still rises, but I would want to go and deliver that in a much better way 
the thing for me, I guess now is I'm constantly reminded that we're, I still feel like we're at the beginning of this and there is constant, constant education. And it's teaching me that, yes, I can say things, but we need to have good governance and processes in place because for a lot of clubs, especially ones that I'm involved in, having a women's program is still fairly new to them. So we really need to make sure that we have things in place. And that's just becoming more and more obvious and more and more important. I totally agree. And I, I want to pick up on a couple of things there, which is number one, the evolution that we have as humans. And you've recognised, as I have done, and, and probably many of our listeners would do, that the way we tackled some conversations a little while back would be different now. I always have my beautiful Nana in my head when I hear these things, because you catch more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. So yeah, sure, call it out or call it in, whichever way you want to do it. But there's a way to engage the hearts, the minds and the efforts of other people, engage their greatness to help them start that advocacy journey. So I think that's number one is reflecting on when I can do better or when I can be better in the service of this mission that I'm on, which is to level the playing field for women and girls. But don't not call it out, but there's a way to do that. And I think you're saying that you've learned over time. So for folks who are thinking, where do I start? Just start and recognise you are going to stuff up. <laughs> you are going to have some conversations that are a bit gnarly. Um, you are going to have some conversations that in, in future moments you look back and go, oh, crumbs, I could have handled that better. But you know what? That's life, right? That's being a human and learning and evolving. We've got to do, we've got to stuff up, we've got to learn from it and then do it again and then do it again and then do it again, you know, rinse, repeat. So I think that's number one is that evolution that you've been through. And the second one is you touched on something that is near and dear to my heart, which is really good governance, helping organisations with the custodians of the organisation, whether it's the board directors, the committee, whomever they may be, really involve women and girls, not only in the governance, but also be thinking with a gender lens on around governance. Clearly, you've done some stuff around that. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about your thoughts on good governance? I'm right at the beginning of where I see it's needed the most, to be completely honest with yeah. you. So as I mentioned, what I'm seeing, I guess, in more programs or clubs or environments that now have female programs that haven't for, for many, many years. And so it's a whole new environment for all. So issues do come up. And they've probably come up many times before, but there's never been anything in place. And I think for the safety of the players and the staff and the coaching and even for the board and the administrators and everyone who works at the club, male or female, the guidelines need to be really clear and it takes the heat off the individual person to then be able to go and have the right conversation or just step through the process when it happens because it is going to happen. It's an education piece for everyone. As uncomfortable and annoying and slow as that is, there is education especially for environments that have been male-dominated for a really long time. It's not going to turn very quickly. I feel like, I, I mean, I am committed for my lifetime, but that's the way it goes. But it's not, it can't just be me. There's other people that I've seen coming through that are probably in that phase that you just talked about of having the conversation clunky and they may reflect on that later, but they're just at that early stages. But if we can give them some guidelines or governance or education around how to do that, sooner then I think that's going to be a really good thing for not only our clubs but sport in general yeah when you say when it happens tell us what you mean by when it happens so 
what I mean when it happens, when inappropriate comments are made towards women, when women are made to feel unsafe in an environment that should be there just as much theirs as anybody else's. That's, that's what I would say. Cool, cool. I want to be really specific because things do go bump in the night. As people and organisations evolve and we start doing things differently, there are going to be people who are so on board with the journey and they're going to embrace it and away they go. There are going to be people who are very resistant in many different ways. And then there is going to be the vast majority who sit somewhere in the middle who haven't quite made up their mind yet or even thought about it. So I, I agree with you, having those guidelines, having policies, having a charter, whatever you want to call it, but the people who are around that decision-making table, whether it's the board or the committee, and this is another call to action, listeners, is let's make sure that we've done a risk assessment which is good governance anyway, that we've got policy, which gives us a guideline to fall back on when things go bump in the night. You can't manage or mitigate human behaviour to the nth degree. You can set the tone, you can set policy, but when things do go bump in the night, you need to have some guidelines, as you said, so that there's not one person having to call it out all the time. So that's great advice. So Holly, I want to hear you talk about Play Like a Girl now because it's a terrific organisation. So tell us about Play Like a Girl Australia, how it came to be, what its mission is and the outcomes that you're seeing from the work that you do. For sure. So we exist solely for the empowerment of girls and women. That is 100% what we exist for. For our chosen vehicle to teach and for education is through the lens of sport. So absolutely, we will work with competing female athletes or females who are, might have a board role or might be a coach or are involved in sport in some capacity and give them as many tools and resources and role models and stories to learn from as absolutely possible. It started from that story that I shared with you, that real unlock of going, wow, there's so much that I don't know. There's so much I haven't even thought about the way I think. So that unlocking was a really big moment now looking back. And then so off the back of that, realising, God, I, I know basically nothing. What can I learn? How much can I learn? And started to just really want to discover things for myself at that point. And then started doing a whole lot of reading and as many courses as I could, particularly around leadership and business. And what occurred to me was this stuff that I'm learning really applies in sport, but I've never had a conversation around this. I've never thought about this in the context of sport before. Imagine if I could take what I'm learning and take it back into sport and give it to people a lot earlier than when I had it. So that was the initial how cool would that be? I would love to do that. So fortunately, I had a pretty good network in the sports space. So I was able to have, find some opportunities to go and sh simply share what I'd been learning through different courses and education that I was doing and go and share it, which was great. So from that side of things, I, I was lucky. I'd never run a business before. So that was a bit of an eye opener for me, Michelle, real harsh and real fast to go, wow, I didn't realise all of the other things that come with that. So it certainly didn't start anywhere near what it looks like now. It's taken years to actually form into something that now is a structured program that we take girls on a journey of their own to really start to discover their own sense of self. 
and then come out the other side going actually who I am is a really strong powerful person and my uniqueness is a great thing and we teach that through the lens of sport but of course we want to make sure we're setting them up really well for sport or uni or their careers or whatever it is they want to do afterwards so what we're seeing with the girls it's that that real sense of certainty in themselves is the theme that I see we definitely take data and, and do a lot of surveys before pre and post program to make sure that we are shifting the needle on on their confidence or their self-esteem or their mental and emotional resilience and really the helping them to recognize and helping them I'm going to come back to that because it's the wrong term I'm going to call myself and that's absolutely the wrong term I learned that very clearly recently to have the girls recognize that the things that sport teaches us sets us up really well for the game of life and I have always had that as this first time I've shared this I've had that as my secret mission or something that we want to work towards I guess that we want to make sure that the girls can see that and that we have to educate them around that however recently in one of our programs in the final session as a bit of a fun competition to wrap things up I said all right girls we've just done this great marketing campaign that you were a part of Michelle which I was really thankful for where we had female executives talk about their background in sport and how that set them up as a leader and there were so many great learnings out of that they weren't complex they were quite simple but really powerful and it just had me reflect and go of course every environment that or whenever we grow up in a particular environment or it's going to shape us in some way we are fortunate that sport is ours so I said hey girls let's do the same thing let's split into three groups you got five minutes to come up with how many things your sport can teach you and is going to help you as you step away from this program five minutes go so we split them into groups and the first group came back with 50 examples oh my god <laughs> that's productive <laughs> and the last group had 81 things they could come up with that sport can help them with in their lives 81 michelle wow i've been around this caper for a while i don't think i could come up with 81 wow go them I sat there with my hand on my forehead jaw to the floor in utter disbelief thinking how did you come up with that many in five minutes we've, we've got five minutes to go we're not going to be able to talk about all of them but it highlighted for me so many things one it's not a secret mission it's very clear the girls know it's we just have it we just don't take the time to go hey what is it teaching us let's get together and talk about it so that absolutely is going to be something that we highlight more and have more of a discussion around in the programs moving forward but it was so good. I keep having these secret missions like we're going to set girls up for the game of life, but we'll do it through sports. Like it's not. It's very obvious that this applies to sport and life. It's just a structure that we're taking them through. And then same with this part. They know very well that what they're learning, whether that's learning to bounce back from a loss every single week for a year builds absolute resilience. Like I don't need to teach them that just slowing down for a second to us have a conversation and recognize it as probably the thing that's really powerful i'm, I'm still gobsmacked 81 things that's that's quite remarkable and i'm glad you talked about resilience because i think one of the things that as women in sport and advocates for women in sport the things that we bump up against really do draw upon our resilience draw upon our inner fire 
you have obstacles, you have pushback, you have backlash. And, you know, some of those can be small things, but, you know, I always say this death of a thousand cuts as well, a thousand small things can become insurmountable versus really big barriers. So when you reflect, and I think it's another point that I want to come back to, the power of reflection, stop, breathe, think, very, very good practice to get into. But when you think about the barriers that you've encountered, on your mission, whether it's secret or otherwise, what have they been? What's been the pushback or the backlash or the barriers? And, and how have you dealt with that? How do you deal with it? I often need to find something internally to be able to break through it. Absolutely. Internally, so both. So one, I feel like I always get the lessons through sport first. I think, how would I tackle this if I was playing in the mid, like what mindset would I need to have to crack into this or go in or be strong and tough? Who needs to show up here? So from an internal perspective, there's tapping into weight, different area of my life where I know I really driven or really can hold my own or, or back myself. So from an internal perspective, that side, but externally, I have an advisory board and, and a group of mentors that are so integral to me so whilst my business is, is small it's never felt that way I have such important supporters around me all of the time that if I don't know where to go or I don't know how to deal with something I can go and have a conversation with them and say hey what do you think about this or how do we get through this and that I would not be anywhere near where I am without that support I'm going to build on it a little, or ask you to build on it a little bit in the context of what you do, because this has been a theme when I ask my guests about what are the types of barriers they encounter, but then more importantly, what do they do about that? And there's certainly some of that dig deep, my inner well, my resilience, you know, whatever it may be. And I think there's a whole bunch of stuff around that that we can learn, but I know the most consistent theme has been I've got a personal board of advisors or I've got a board of advisors or I've got a group of mentors, not just one person, but a group, you know, my cheer squad that I can go to to either get advice or to give me a bit of a pep talk or just say, chalk this one up and just move on, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think it's a really important call to action for our listeners. If you are, and we want you to, be working on levelling the playing field for women and girls, do have that support squad. You would never, ever enter any playing arena without a support squad. Again, this is where sport can teach us things because I certainly look back and one of my big opportunities is to ask for help more, has always been, I'm so fiercely independent and determined, frustratingly independent, because I don't ask for help soon enough or go to my personal board of directors. So it's a great lesson for both the girls that you teach and you facilitate programs with, but also for our listeners. And we don't have to do it on our own, right? No, and that's a, that's a lesson we have in the program. <laughs> Let's like break down our psychology around asking for help because we need people in our team, and that's right. So the best teams have a whole whole posse of people that we need help, and to rely on those people is a, is a true strength and a show of leadership, I think. And even when you were talking, Michelle, in terms of barriers, creating play like a girl or bringing it to life, 
there's been times where I've been thrown off for sure because I've had feedback to say this isn't going to work or that brand name is starting from a negative place. You're going to have to rethink it. You need to be prepared that no one might apply for the program. And those ones came later, but the ones around brand came earlier on and did throw me off for a while. And I thought, oh, yeah, maybe they're right. I wasn't sure myself. And then I've had to just learn that I can't listen to those things and I have to create it in the way, like if my mission and my vision that of what I want, I have to follow that and I have to do it irrelevant of those comments or that feedback. Not all feedback's a gift, but I think the art is working out which feedback is the gift and which we sort of nod, smile and then walk away from. Absolutely. How did you work out which feedback to ignore? So my reflection on the first comments that I mentioned around the brand and around you going to need to revisit that, as I reflected on that, was more around the people that had had those comments do have an association to what that brand means and that's okay. And my ability to have that conversation with them is actually a really good thing and that's what the brand is about. It's a, We're flipping what that means. So as a reflection to me to go, hey, it's okay to be uncomfortable and have the conversation anyway. Uh, I wish that I had have done that at the time instead of letting it wobble me, I guess. The later comments around you need to be prepared if this isn't going to work, fair. Like that's really fair to say and that's okay and I, that's something that I should be prepared for and focused on my mission at the same time. The process that we take the girls through is more around having them recognize that they don't have to do everything by themselves and suffer on their own, I guess. So we get them to have a think about who are the people in this sphere of influence? When I need help, what do I do first and who do I go to and who are the, my, the people in my corner? But we really want them to just identify if there's any limiting beliefs around, is that going to make me look weak? Is that going to make me look insufficient in some way or that I, I'm not good enough or any of those things and just get them to recognize them and identify that they exist so that when it comes up they can still like any other mindset piece that we're talking about that they can recognize that it's there and do it anyway love it i always say for those of you who've watched harry potter and he he deals with bogart you know they're in front of the wardrobe and everyone's got to work out what their bogart is which is of course what you're most scared of and we've got to open the cupboard and confront what we fear most to understand it and then do something about it and I think folks listening there's the call to action if we're fearing stepping into the advocacy space or fearing calling out gender inequality or just reluctant to ask for help please you know really stop breathe and reflect what what's holding you back here because we want you to step into this space and don't be afraid of it because there's a lot to learn but there's also a lot to love and there's a lot of fulfillment out of it well it actually leads me to the, the the call to action i know you give a lot of advice clearly in your leadership programs to girls who are coming through but you also work with women in sport and beyond but I guess now asking you to give one piece of advice for, for women in sport I know that's a big ask but I am going to ask you to do that so for women who are perhaps thinking gee whiz I wish that my football netball league would take the netball as seriously or I wish there was a women's program or I wish there was more focus on women I wish there was gender equality what would be your advice to those women right now who, who want to stop wishing and start doing? I would 
100% say that if that's something that you want to do, then you need to be the one that does it. Because I think everybody assumes that someone else is going to do it or it should change or it should happen at some point and it will get solved. That is not how it's going to change. I remember early on with Play Like a Girl when we were, I wanted to do stuff and everyone was talking about let's collaborate or let's do something. Yeah, that should be something that we would do. And then even years later when Play Like a Girl evolved into looking a little bit more what it looks like now, realising everyone's still having that conversation. Who's doing the work to change the way that we see ourselves or that the club see us or who's doing the change work? And that really has motivated me to actually be the change yourself. You, you, if you have an idea, it's something you want to see changing, lead it. And then more broadly, we're sticking with the theme because I, I want listeners to be able to take some actionable insights here. So in your sport, listener, Holly, I, I'm going to ask you to give our listeners some advice. What's some things, some activities that you'd like advocates or potential advocates, so those people who are going, you know what, I really want to do something more for women and girls in my sport, my club, wherever it might be, or even my workplace. What do you want them to do to change the game for women and girls? So I firmly believe that we should have every girl or woman who's playing sport to come through our programs and to have the opportunity to really take that time to reflect and to develop themselves. And it's fun too. It's a really great experience. And the way that we've structured it and the model that we've gone with is that we allow individuals to register of course but my favorite model I guess is that we have organizations who are serious about investing in girls and women and future female leaders we allow them to purchase scholarships for females to do our programs so that means that we can go out to sporting programs that females are involved in or schools and offer them the opportunity to come into our programs and I'll do the work to make sure we've got the investment because we want more and more girls coming through. They deserve this opportunity and not everyone has access to it. So if we can partner up with more organisations that not just say equal opportunity, that actually want to have skin in the game and can demonstrate it and want to stay in a network with those girls, then providing investment through Play Like a Girl is an absolute no-brainer. The other side, I would say is actually going and watching girl sports. Bums on seats is what we want to see. We want to have the crowds there. We want to have actual support numbers. That That's how we're going to grow this thing. Love it. And I think there's two really different but aligned things. So number one, if you're in a position to provide scholarships, please provide them because this is a game changer and this is the stuff that leaves a legacy. But I love the fact that, you know, watch women and girls sports if you can't get to the sport watch it on you know however you watch your tv follow women and girls on twitter and like the social media we've really got to have you know as you said more eyes on and more bums on seats whether they be virtual seats digital seats or actual seats so great advice and folks i'll put links in the show notes about how you can tap into a um, you know, supporter scholarship or scholarships for, for Play Like a Girl. So, Holly, when you look at the, the year or years stretching out before us, what are you most hopeful for 
for women and girls in sport? I would love to hear girls and women saying how awesome and safe and inclusive their club is. So I love being at my club. It's mine is just as much as everybody else. That's one thing. I would love to hear those stories way more often. Seeing more girls and women in board roles or in senior leadership roles at clubs, like I've known it logically, but seeing how important that is to even have girls who are in the club have another woman there that they can look up to or come and talk to really openly, so important. So I really want to see that. And so if we can either open up more pathways or opportunities for women or provide more education for them to, to be able to take on those roles, then that's what I would love to see. They're the two main things. Fantastic. Those are pretty good aspirations uh, from my perspective. And I love, really love the fact that I love my club, our club, because you talk about our and us as a collective of humans. How can we make sports so much more amazing for every human? And you and I both know just how much impact that can have on business, on the world and on society when sport does it right. So Holly, you do play like a girl and that's a really good thing. You've shown us in, in today's talk that what it is to play like a girl. You've shown us what playing like a girl is. And in your own words, playing like a girl means she is strong and she plays with freedom and she's not to be underestimated and she has capabilities beyond what can be seen and I think you absolutely epitomise that. Holly Bailey, founder of Play Like A Girl Australia, thank you so much for your wisdom and keep on keeping on my friend. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening folks, I hope you got a lot of actionable insights out of that interview. You know what you can do now to be a person who's smashing the patriarchy in sport? You can leave a five-star rating. You can leave a review. But importantly, please share this podcast amongst your family, your friends, your colleagues, and pretty much anyone who's involved in the system of sport because together we can close the global leadership gender gap in sport.